Bellarmine Forum presents Footnote Catholic Insights from the Culture Wars. Here's your host, Christopher Mannion. I'm here today with Phil Lawler, longtime writer, author, and today a media analyst and media critic in the Catholic world for Catholic World News, cwnews.com. Phil, welcome to Footnote. Thank you. Phil, let's get right down to the basics. You've been watching the response to the election of Pope Francis in the broader media. How do you assess it? Well, uh, two things. First, there's the horse race aspect. The media flock to Rome to see a new pope elected because it's interesting. It's like a political campaign in their eyes. And so they get a lot of things wrong because they assume that, as in a political campaign, there are people with sharply contrasting platforms and policies uh, who are rivals of each other, which is not the way it works at all. Then there's the excitement which we all feel, which I think is a healthy excitement, just that there's a new pope and there's a curiosity and a desire to know more about him. And there's, for that reason, a bit of a honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. And that is probably ending right about now. And secular commentators are discovering to their shock that the pope is Catholic. And so uh, they will start becoming much more critical than they have been. Well, we're speaking on Easter Tuesday, and you mentioned that there are rival parties with rival agendas. Indeed, there are, not in the conclave, but in the rest of the world. And each of these rival parties, and there aren't just two of them, are trying to get a piece of the Pope, so to speak. Uh, Could you comment a little about how those secular, uh, secularly opposed groups might be aiming to have their agenda advanced by Pope Francis. Sure. Well, you're right. Everybody's looking to get a piece of him. He's going to be kind of difficult in that respect because he does not fit neatly into categories. And we say that about every prelate and pope. But in this case, more so because the categories tend to be of European politics or American politics, and Mm -hmm. he's neither. There are certainly a lot of people who notice his love for the poor and his determination to have the church serve the poor and figure that means he's in favor of what would in America be federal poverty programs. I don't. I think they're bound for a disappointment. In Latin America during the 1980s, the Latin American Bishops' Conference under the leadership of Cardinal Lopez Trujillo of uh, Medellin developed a counter to liberation theology called the Theology of Reconciliation. I've never seen it even acknowledged, much less analyzed in the broader secular press. But although I didn't know the Archbishop in those days when I was working with the Salem, the Latin American Bishops' Conference, it's clear that he rejected the liberacionistas, and tried to restore a sense of true harmony between the classes. And so from the Jesuit communities around the world that supported liberation theology 
tooth and nail, I'm sure that there's going to be a rising sentiment of unhappiness and displeasure as time goes on and they recognize what it is they've gotten in the papal apartments, if he ever moves there. That's right. Well, it's noteworthy that there wasn't, there was not a whole lot of celebration in Jesuit residences at his election. He is a Jesuit, uh, but he was a bit of a pariah Jesuit. He was a Jesuit provincial in Argentina who was voted out as provincial. Uh, and he ruffled an awful lot of feathers because he's not particularly political. His idea of working with the poor is going himself into the slums and meeting poor families and seeing how he can help them, mm-hmm. uh, rather than pushing for radical change or for government programs. In the future, he seems to have been well-grounded in the teaching, most recently of Pope Benedict and his motu proprio of November 11th on charity. That is clearly going to have a very long-lasting impact on the way the church does caritas, even though it might be slow to develop. How do you think the American church is going to react when it confronts the necessity of shedding itself of federal support by the billions with universities, charities, even hospitals, and turning to the laity with for what's left of true Catholic voluntary charity. You're right, that's going to happen. It's, uh, it's inevitable, and our bishops will have to face it. I think it's going to be a long time before they're prepared to face it because they have structurally set themselves up to rely on federal grants. And... Uh, it, intellectually set themselves up so that they, more often than not, in their anti-poverty programs, are approaching poverty by looking for federal grants to get federal grants to fight poverty. Uh, The federal grants are going to stop coming, uh, not only for the bishops because of hostility, increasing hostility from the government, but for everybody because the federal government doesn't have money. So you're right, we have to go back to reliance on charity from the laity, and that's going to be a very rough awakening. Short answer to your question, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, Charles Burton Marshall used to say there's no such thing as the foreseeable future. A couple of things, though, the bishops can choose either to wait until they are shed by force of their federal support and their tax exemption, or they can proactively renounce both. But it appears to me that Pope Francis, in the message, symbolic and real, that he's been giving to the world, is light years ahead of those bishops who are still mired in the marriage to the bureaucracy and the golden handcuffs that come with it. Right. My sense, I I can't pretend that I know him that well, but my sense is that Pope Francis is not terribly interested in politics, uh, which is true also of Pope Benedict. Um, and he's interested in making the church run well, and political considerations will be secondary to him. I doubt he'd take the lead in telling National Bishops' Conference to shed their dependence on government, but I think that would be his general bent. The appointment of bishops is always something of a item of interest to the secular world because there are people who... View it as though it were the results of a bipartisan confrontation or election. This guy won, this guy lost. 
How important will the appointment of bishops be with regard to the Pope's agenda as it comes into being? Hugely important, and he knows that. It has been my experience in the last several years under Pope Benedict that the appointments have been getting better and better. And if uh, Pope Francis can just continue that trend, we're already seeing quite a change here in our country. And I assume the same has been true around the world, and, and if, if that's the case, it's a tremendously important development. Pope Benedict did not have kind words for bureaucracies in the church. Now, of course, a lot of people say, yeah, we'll look at the Vatican and its bureaucracy, but there are bureaucracies within bureaucracies, and one of them is the United States Catholic Conference. What kind of impact can the appointment of bishops have on the functions of the USCCB? Again, tremendous impact. Uh, the USCCB is a very different animal now than it was several years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm still not at all comfortable with it, uh, but it's not pushing a left-wing agenda the way it was. It, it's sort of coasting on, on the momentum of the left-wing agenda of past years. Uh, the conference is a collection of bishops, and as the center of gravity moves among the, uh, among the bishops, as the new bishops are appointed and they're, they're stronger in their evangelical approach and less intent on political approach, that has tremendous uh, effect on the bishops' conference. I note with interest that in that very important motu proprio of November, November 11th, 2012, Pope Benedict in his amendment to church law, which a motu proprio is, mentioned again and again, the bishop, the bishop, the bishop. He never mentioned a bishop's conference. He never mentioned a bishop's bureaucracy or the lay structure of the bureaucracy. He went directly to the bishop, and the bishop shall not, and the bishop shall not. I find that promising. Is Pope Francis uh, going to be able to shed light in the bishops' conferences that perhaps each bishop is indeed the ordinary of his diocese, period? That's a good question, and I don't know the answer. He was very active in Salem, as you know, and mm -hmm. he had a very high opinion of Salem, which is a continental bishops' conference, mm -hmm. uh, and he thought it worked very well. So he's certainly not opposed to bishops' conferences, but there's a question about does the conference have its own authority or is it a gathering place for bishops' Uh, which is a very different kettle of fish. One thing that might be a hint is how in his very first days in office, in fact, in his very first public statement, he emphasized that he is the Bishop of Rome. And there's the indication that he intends to take that responsibility for the Diocese of Rome very seriously, recognizing that whatever authority he has as sovereign pontiff flows from the fact that he is Bishop of Rome. So the local, all politics is local, mm -hmm. all, all religion is local too. Well, there are a lot of signs that uh, Phil Lawler has discerned on the horizon, and as our old friend Joe Sobran used to say, some of them are right in front of our face, but they're not often seen. Phil Lawler is the one to see them. Phil, thanks for joining us on Footnote. We hope to have you back soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. This is Christopher Mannion. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Footnote, Catholic Insights from the Culture Wars.
Footnote is brought to you by the Bellarmine Forum. Copyright the Bellarmine Forum. All rights reserved. <laughs>